Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your grace is amazing. How can it be that you, our Savior, would die for us? But Lord, we're thankful that you are not still in the grave, but you rose and you sit at the right hand of the Father. And we long for the day in which you return. Lord, give us strength as we now consider your word, your word that makes known your goodness to us. Give us hearts to receive, ears to hear, and eyes to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, I want us to consider about what we have partaken in. In fact, a lot of the things that we've done are, are rather strange if you think about it. When you walked into this room right behind me, the room focuses on a, a fixture. And that fixture is a cross. That might not strike you as too strange because as, as I've been driving around this town and I see lots of crosses. I see them on signs. I see them worn around people's necks. I've walked into a church before and I've seen a cross. But if we really think about what the cross is, it's rather strange. The cross was the chosen execution tool of the Roman Empire. For someone that could be beamed from ancient Rome into our presence right now, and they were to be in this room seeing our eyes as we're singing and fellowshipping with a crucifix or a cross on the wall, it would be the equivalent of walking into a room with a gathered group of people and on that wall is hanging an electric chair. Added to that, we've just sung songs about blood and death curse and wrath, about one being nailed to a cross. To make matters worse, we just partook in a symbolic meal which represents a body that was sacrificed for us, which represents blood that was spilt. And when we sang, we, we sang of, about nothing but the blood and how it washes us. What, what a picture. Blood. And finally, we claim to worship one who's not dead, but one who's alive. Yes, a, a crucified criminal, at least in the world's eyes, but one who was raised. But yet one we do not yet see. One who has not been seen for over 2,000 years. And yet for us this morning, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're staking our lives on these truths, right? This is why we have life. But yet it sounds like a weird primitive religion, doesn't it? At least when I put it the way I did. That has really no place, you would think, in, in this day and age, at this present time. And so the world, maybe, maybe some of you this morning are asking, why do Christians make so much of a cross? It's rather morbid. Why can't they update their religion? Make it something more 
positive maybe? More acceptable? More appealing? You do want people to believe this, right? You might want to stop talking about someone being hung on a tree and beaten and died and drinking wrath and spilling his blood for people. And then having some symbolic ceremony where you're reenacting drinking and eating his body. Well, this morning, I want to propose that there's nothing more relevant than the message of the cross. It's nothing more positive. And when rightly understood, there's nothing more appealing than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to see this, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're new here and hopefully you have a Bible or someone sitting next to you can share one. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, and so if you can find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just keep going to the right, and you will find Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 1. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read verses 18 through 31, and the words will be on the screen as well. This is what the Apostle Paul said about the cross. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and, Gen- and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This morning, I I really have just one goal one agenda, and that is for us to see the cross for what it really is, to see the cross as the wisdom of God. I want us to see the cross as the wisdom of God so that just as Paul concluded this passage, that we would be those who boast in the Lord, that we would be those who glory 
and make much of and praise and make known the name of the Lord. We'd make much of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. And that we'd give our lives doing it. Not just singing here on Easter Sunday. Not just on Sundays in general. But that we would literally give our lives And people would see us and they would say, those are boasters of that cross of Jesus Christ. They are Jesus people. That's what my goal is. And to help us to get there, we're going to first need to consider the message of the cross. I want us to consider the foolishness of the cross. And then finally, I want us to consider the power of the cross. Let us begin with the message of the cross. Paul begins this passage and he he speaks of the message of the cross. He says, it is the word of the cross. The word or, or message. And as I already began to say, on the surface, the crucifixion of Christ may seem to be a tragic end to a life of well intentions. But for, G- for Christians, Jesus is not some well-intended man whose mission was upended. That's what the world would like you to know. Maybe you watch some of those uh, things on CNN, History Channel, Discovery Channel. They try to, to, to reconstructure the life of Jesus. And, and often they, they paint Jesus as this well-intended sage who was trying to start a revolution. But oh, it was so sad. Because it ended in tragedy. He ended up dying on a cross. No, for Christians, Jesus is the promised Savior who came to die and to give himself as a ransom for all who would believe. And the message of the cross is that our Savior was crucified, that we have a crucified Messiah, a crucified Savior, and that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures, Paul says. And so what I want us to to see, I want us to to ponder as we think about the word of the cross, is that the cross was always the goal of the mission. It wasn't plan B. This was the reason for which Christ came into the world. The cross was God's plan from the beginning. And that, that theme runs all the way from the beginning of Scripture because Jesus, He is the bruised offspring of Eve who would crush Satan's head. He is the true and better Joseph who would be handed over by his kinsmen so that he may deliver them. He is the true and better Moses who would shed his royalty in order to lead his people out of slavery. He is the true and better David who would deny himself, submitting himself under the will of God to be appointed as king over his people. He is the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He's the suffering servant who was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of his people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the true and better Daniel who descended into the lion's pit of death and rose again, resulting in judgment of the wicked and the proclamation of the name of the Lord to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth. This Jesus was delivered up, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, just as the Scriptures foretold. This has always been God's plan. 
But it was not his plan that he would be abandoned to the grave. No, he, not only was he crucified, brothers and sisters, but we know he was buried and on the third day he rose again. On Sunday, the Lord's day, this day. And he was raised according to the scriptures. See, Jesus... He is the promised king of Israel who was not abandoned to the grave. David prayed in Psalm 16, Oh, that you would not abandon my soul to Sheol as the abode of the dead. And Peter tells us on the day of Pentecost that, that, was, that David was looking to a greater one than he. He is the Holy One who would not see corruption. He is the resurrected Savior who appeared to Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and to the other women who came with them to the tomb. He then appeared to to Peter and then to the rest of the disciples. And over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to many, even at one point, appearing to a, a group of 500 people. Now, this isn't some conspiracy theory, this isn't some fluke. You're going to start a revolution, some, some, some conspiracy that he's risen from the dead. You, you better have some proof. Jesus showed himself to many for over 30 days. He then came to his brother James. James, at, at, during Jesus' earthly life or before he ascended the throne, didn't believe in Jesus. His own brother didn't believe in him, but Jesus appeared to him after he rose from the dead and James believed. And at the end of those 40 days, he was taken up in the clouds. His disciples beheld him as he was taken up, and he went away from their sight. And the angels said, why do you look up into heaven? Why? For he will come back in the same way in which he left. He's going to come with the clouds. He is the the Lord who's ascended to the throne upon which he rules the world, putting his enemies under his feet. That's what the resurrection means. He is the Lord who has been raised from the dead. He is, as as Nathan said, first among many brothers and sisters. See, when we look at the cross, we see that as our path of death, burial, and resurrection. And He is the first to go forward among many brothers and sisters. And we too, when His coming will arise with Him, Those who have died first in the Lord will be raised from the grave, and those of us who remain will be caught up with Him in the air. And at this time, the end will come when He delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, every power. For He must reign until He has put every enemy under His foot. And that last enemy to be destroyed is death. My friends, this is the message of the cross. This is the word of the cross that Paul was speaking of. When he came to a town, when he came to Corinth, and as that message has been propelled to the ends of the world, Lord, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord that has come to us and is the message that we preach. And as a result, brothers and sisters, for all of us who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And this is the message of the crucified and risen Savior. Yet, this message divides humanity. Divides humanity among those who are perishing and those who are being saved. You see what Paul says there in verse 18. This message of the cross, it is folly to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Sadly, for most, the message of the cross is foolishness. And they are among those who are perishing. So I want us to consider the foolishness of the cross. Why is the cross foolish to so many? Maybe, maybe you're here. And you've come and, and you're just trying to please the one who brought you. Maybe a grandmother, a mother, a sibling, a friend, a co-worker. You just said, oh, I'll support you in this. And, but you think this is all just silliness. Well, this morning you're going to find out why you think it's silly. The reason the cross is silly to most, foolish, moronic, it's because it opposes our so-called human sensibilities. See, the cross of Jesus is contrary to human wisdom and therefore utterly ridiculous for anyone to accept. And here's what I want you to see, brothers and sisters. This is exactly what God intended. It's exactly what God intended. Why would God intend that? Why would God intend that the, the cross would be foolishness to so many? If you jump down to verse 22, look, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. That's what they want. People want signs. They want something sophisticated. But what does he ask us to preach? Christ crucified. Notice a stumbling block and folly. This message, I mean, you might be saying, couldn't you come up with something better, Lord? Yeah, it's a stumbling block. Who wants to buy into that message? Yeah, it sounds silly. Yet this is exactly what God intended. And, and, and this is what why Paul quotes Isaiah 29, 14 and verse 19. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment or the intelligence of the intelligent. I will thwart. Here's what Paul is wanting us to understand. This is what the Lord wants us to understand about the wisdom of the cross. Is that the cross shows that God's redemptive plan would be hidden from the proud and arrogant of heart. This was God's plan even from the beginning. This has always been God's plan. As Pastor Nathan read from Jeremiah 9, because of, of our wickedness and sinfulness of heart, we'll trust in our own wisdom. We'll trust in our own might. We'll boast in our own riches. We'll, we'll boast in who we are. And yet the cross says, I'll take none of it. None of that makes any difference. See, God's intent through the cross was that all who oppose Him, who lean on their own understanding, would be blinded from the truth. And how would this happen? God would give you exactly what you want. He would allow you to believe that your own wisdom would lead to your own life. And in doing so, you will not see. You begin to see why Paul would say this is, this is offensive. This is folly. This is utter insanity. The cross is offensive to anyone 
who is not broken over their own pride and rebellion toward the God of creation. The God who created you. If, if you are not broken, if you do not bow before Him, if you will not bow your knee, if you do not fear Him, because you think you are wiser than Him, He'll give you to your own wisdom. And you will not see. The cross is ugly, isn't it? It's bloody. We've sung of it. It, it, it highlights the awfulness of our sin. You know what the cross says to each and every one of us in this room and declares to the whole of humanity? We're bankrupt. We're bankrupt. And that God is holy and just and He will punish sin. But at the same time, the cross says you need a substitute. You need someone who can pay for your sins because there is nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing you can do to fix your sin problem. What is sin? It is rebellion against God. It is a refusal to submit to His Lordship, His loving rule and care over your life. It's a refusal to say that He is King and I will bow and I will follow Him. That is what sin is. And here is what the wisdom of man brings to the table. And we say, yeah, we might say, oh, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm not, I'm not doing things, I've made mistakes. And so the wisdom of the world, whether that's our own sensibilities or we find a religion that fits our, 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 our needs or what we think is wise and, and suitable for our liking, we'll think, well, I'll, I'll be good enough. I'll do enough. I'll, I'll go to church enough. I'll pray enough. And man has been creating religion after religion after religion to say, you can do it. You can do it. And the cross says, no, you can't. No, you can't. And as long as you think you can do it, you will not see the power of the cross. You will not see the glory of God. And so Paul goes on, he says, so where is the wise man? Step up. Where is the, the scholar? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? These were the, uh, the, the professional experts of the day in the Greco-Roman world. The wise would be the, the philosopher, the, the wise man. The scribe would be the scholar. In particular, these were the, the Jewish scholars who were experts in the Old Testament. Where are they? Where is the debater of this age? This would have been the, the orator, the, the eloquent speaker. Isn't that what the world wants? They want some guy with a PhD behind it to say, yep, this is legitimate. This scholar to come alongside and say, yep, we see this right here. It's, this is, this uh, reaches the, the consensus. And then we want someone to wow us with their words. Give us signs and wonders. He says, well, none of these so-called experts in the, in the world understand what's going on at the cross. None of these so-called experts have actually arrived at the knowledge of the truth of God. And what he goes on to say is that the, the cross has made foolish the wisdom of the world. The world touts its own wisdom, but the cross actually flips it on its head. Now, how, how does that happen? 
Just because you say it so doesn't make it so, does it? Let me ask you, what has the world brought due to its wisdom? Has the world brought redemption and its wisdom? Have all the scholars, the scribes, the orators, the, the, the self-help books, what have they produced? Where are they? What's their evidence? As I see, there's still heartache in the world. Slavery, death. Wisdom of the world which rejects the cross as true wisdom only brings destruction. See, the world's wisdom makes promises that it cannot deliver. It writes checks that it cannot cash. Here's the message of the world. This is the wisdom of the world. Live for yourself and you'll be happy. Live for fortune and fame and you'll be happy. I'd venture to say some of us think that. Oh, if I could just make more money, I'd be happy. That's the wisdom of the world. Live for sexual freedom and you will be happy. Live for power and strength and you will be happy. Get yours while you can. Live for whatever brings your, you pleasure and you will be happy. You could just put it this, whatever is without Christ will make you happy. That is the world's wisdom. You can do it without Jesus. You can do it. That's what the world says. And some of you have bought into the world's wisdom. And you're miserable. It's left you lonely. It's left you ashamed and broken and hurt and empty. There are things in your life that you have set your hope on that you were sure were going to bring you happiness. Maybe it was a person, a relationship. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was some status or, or rank. And it's failed you. It's because it could never satisfy. The world can never satisfy. Now, some of you might be saying, hey, I, I'm doing fine. And for some, the world's wisdom will seem to make good on its promises, at least for a time. There will be seasons of bliss. There are pleasures of sin. Seasons of satisfaction. However, I promise you, it will not last. Either it will quickly dry up and will catch you off guard. It will one day be with you and then gone. Seeking you to the next thrill, to the next promise that cannot deliver. But even if you were to manage, as Jesus said, to gain the whole world, what do you do at your grave? Because it will abandon you then. You will be abandoned to the grave if you buy into the world's wisdom. But God and His wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, was pleased to make it that no one could know Him through human wisdom. He didn't want you to find joy, peace, and happiness in life through your wisdom. And that is His grace towards you. You see that in verse 21? For since in the wisdom of God, this is God's wisdom, 
the world did not know God through wisdom. Now he's kind of playing on, on words here, right? He's talking about their wisdom. It was God's wisdom to make sure that the world did not come to know him through their wisdom. And it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Anytime you see in the scripture God was pleased, it always refers to his sovereign plan. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, who will go to the cross, and I will be well pleased that the world will see it as foolishness, but to those whom I save, they'll see it as the power of God. That's God's wisdom here. And so some, he says, verse 22, will demand signs. This was the case for the Jews of Jesus' day and even of Paul's day. It's very ironic. Jesus would come into a town and he would heal the lame. He would uh, give sight to the blind. He would even raise the dead. And then he would say things like this, whoever would come to the Father must come through me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All judgment has been handed over to the Son. And you know what the people would say? Well, what sign do you do that you, we know that you're telling the truth? Are you, are you kidding? You know what Jesus says to them? The only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah. You're like, well, what does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> no, it means something. He goes on and he says, For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. He's, he's going back to, there was this hidden message of God's ways of dealing with things. Who puts a guy in the belly of a fish? Not man's wisdom. And yet it is even far greater that he would put, he would come. God in human flesh would crucify be crucified and die and be buried in the belly of the earth for three days and be rose from the dead, that just as Jonah was vomited onto dry land, so the grave could not hold him back. And he says, that's the only sign you'll be given, the cross. So maybe you're here today and you're saying, hey, I'll believe if you do something. Hey, Jesus, why don't you show up? Do something. Or the, the atheist has said, all right, God, I don't believe in you. If you want to prove me wrong, strike me dead. Here's the sad reality is that he just did. He let him stand in his own wisdom. See, I'm right. Has no idea that he has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. And so with the one who says, I will not believe until I see well, you will not see until you believe. Others will seek wisdom, he says. And he, he, he mentions the Greeks. Verse 22, Greeks seek wisdom. They'll look at the cross and see it. That, that is weak. That's not mighty. That's not powerful. This just popped in my head. Hopefully it doesn't get me in trouble. Just yesterday, I'm watching North Korea. Having a, a parade. What are they doing? They're boasting in their might. Missiles coming across, their soldiers coming through. What do they want the world to know? We're strong. You come into that country and say, well, no, believe in a crucified Messiah. That would have nothing. Didn't you say that? Same message doesn't have much appeal even in America. 
and really for anyone. Because we believe that we are strong. And the message of a cross, it's just not sophisticated. And so we dismiss it because it doesn't fit into the system of what we think would be reasonable. Human wisdom looks to what man can accomplish and can attain. And that is the difference between all religions and Christianity. All religions, in some form or fashion, says that you must do or you must attain to reach salvation. That's what broke off true Christianity from Roman Catholicism. It says, come and do and you will attain. And the scriptures have always said the just shall live by faith. The word of the cross has always said you can bring nothing to the table. And as long as you insist that you will, you will be left in your own wisdom and you will perish. The cross is folly because it declares all glory belongs to God. And so look at the end of verse 22 or 23. So even though the world demands signs, even though the world demands wisdom, even though the world says we won't stand for that, you know what God does? He says, go preach Christ crucified. It will be a stumbling block to people. People are going to just get all worked up because this cannot be true. That's exactly what it will do. And they will think it's folly. Let's consider its power. The power of the cross. But to those who were called... Those who are called to salvation, look at this, both Jews and Greeks, meaning every person on the face of the planet. That was the way of dividing the world in the ancient world. There were Jews and there was everybody else. That's the world's wisdom as well, too. Whether you're Jew or Greek, those who are called... What does it mean? What does the preaching of a crucified Savior mean? The power of God and the wisdom of God. And so God's goal is accomplished for the foolishness of God. That's, that's from the world's perspective. It's actually wiser than men. Oh, the weakness of God, the weak cross. It's actually stronger than men. Because it's actually changing lives and calling a people to himself. See, the cross of Christ was effective in doing its work, exactly the work in which God intended it to do. And so the power of the cross manifests God's sovereign grace towards us. And that's exactly what we need to do. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Consider how you came to know the Lord. Did someone perform a miracle for you? Did someone call fire from heaven? Or did someone sit down with you and answer every, every intellectual problem that you had? I was able to answer all the problems of the universe and all the unknowns and every question that could possibly be answered. And then you finally said, you know what? I, I line up all this evidence and you know what? It's right. I, I believe. That happened to any of you? I don't think so. Consider your calling. Why did you believe? Because of God's grace towards you. Or he drew you to himself. 
And he goes on, he says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Sorry, guys, we're not. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Most of the church is not among the intellectual elite, if you haven't noticed. Most of us are not among the powerful in this world. Most of us are not born into nobility. But verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Do we see ourselves as that? Because that's what the cross demands. I, I am foolish. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Do you see yourself as weak and needy and broken? Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world. Do you see yourself as low and despised? Look at this. Even the things that are not, you know what that means? The nobodies. Now talk about a campaign slogan. Who wants to join the nobody club? That's what the cross says. The world says, I want to be part of the somebody club. Here's the goodness of God's grace is that he called nobodies and made them somebodies. And how did he make them somebodies? He gave us a new identity, verse 30. Because of him, that's what we praise today, because of you, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because your grace toward us. What does he say? You are in Christ. The world has labels for you, right? The intellectual, the wealthy, the mighty, the one of noble birth. We all have those, those titles of identity in the world which, that says this is what you must be or who you must be if you want to succeed, right? The value system of the world. But notice, he takes all those who are called those who are weak, who are foolish, who are the nobodies, and he gives us a new identity. He puts us in Christ. He hides us in Jesus. Because see, on the cross, this is the wisdom of the cross, Christ died in our place. And God crushed him, and it pleased him to crush him, because when Christ was crushed on the cross, God saw you. He saw me. He treated Jesus on the cross as if he had lived your life, as if he had thought your thoughts, as if he had done your deeds, as if he had trusted in your wisdom, so that he may treat you as if you lived his life. And that's exactly what we see here. Because of him you were in Christ who became to us wisdom. The world offers its wisdom, we get the wisdom of God. And what is the wisdom of God? In Christ we have what is His, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What is righteousness? A right standing before our Creator. You are declared right. This is why you cannot work your way to salvation. You can't, you're, you're not more right or more loved by God today than the first day you believed. There was a, a, a verdict on that day. Christ is guilty. You are innocent. There was the great exchange. He took our sin. We get His righteousness. 
That's why there's nothing you bring to the table or I bring to the table. We're declared innocent of all our sin, all our evil, both past, present, and future. Now some will say, well then, why won't you just sin all the more? Because, why, how could I sin for the things that my Savior died for? I don't intentionally do. That's why I continually need Him. That's why my identity is not found in myself. I boast in the Lord. Not only does He give us righteousness, He gives us sanctification. This is good news because not only are you declared right, but He actually washes you. Nothing but the blood of Christ. What will wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He washes you. He makes you white as snow. And I know there's some of us here, all of us, if we're true with ourselves, we're broken, we're dirty, we're shameful. There are things that we we would not dare tell a single soul about us that Jesus knows. And he says, come, and I have made you clean. And then he is our redemption. He's not left us to ourselves, but he's rescued you. He's rescued you and I from the grips of Satan, sin, and death. He has. And one day when he returns, that is our hope, he's going to resurrect these lowly bodies of ours to dwell with him in a resurrected earth where the curse will be no more and death has no sting. Do you see the wisdom of the cross, brothers and sisters? The wisdom of the world says gain all you can. Make much of yourself, but it leaves you empty and with nothing. Whereas the wisdom of the cross says see yourselves as having nothing and come to the one who will freely give you all things. That is the power of the cross and the resurrection for the people who believe. Let's pray and then let's sing and boast in our Savior. Lord, I pray for two people in this room, two types of people. Lord, I pray for the one whom you have called, who has believed and trusted, but who is weary, who is tempted so often to base their account of worth and, and love before you on their own doing. Lord, give them hope today that it is finished. That you were raised for our justification, for our righteousness. And give them hope that they would not boast in whatever they may conjure up, but they would only boast in you. And then, Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. I pray that even though they may have come in today thinking that this message that was preached would be folly, Lord, that they would come out here seeing it as your power to save. And that you would raise their dead heart. That you would soften it. You would regenerate them. And that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead. And that they would transfer from being those who are perishing to being those who are being saved. That is our prayer. 
And that is our plea, that we would preach Christ and Him crucified. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and let's boast in our Lord.